You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Ding. Welcome to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. I am excited today because my guest is Jimmy Slattery, who is the head of Compassion Matters, which is an organization based in Oxford in the UK, here in the UK. Uh, and uh, he's going to talk with, talk with us today about the importance of compassion, particularly with the youngest generation. In other words, the students that we are teaching here and now today. And uh, I just got to be honest, Jimmy, I, I'm actually exhausted right now. Um, I, I just got back from a three weeks of work in the U.S. and I'm jet lagged. I, I find the older I get, the more sensitive I am to mm-hmm. jet lag. And so I've been kind of kind of mainlining the coffee a bit, which I don't drink much coffee in my regular life, but I definitely am drinking more today just to make it through. But uh, also just I'm noticing the effect that fatigue has on my temper, my mood. Mm-hmm. And uh I promise I'll, I'll play well today uh, with you, um, but honestly, like I'm just I'm just feeling I'm feeling the effects of fatigue on my overall mood, and right. uh, and I'm thinking about how I notice even today, like I'm I'm talking more curtly with people, I'm not noticing the people around me as much because I'm just focused on getting through the day, and I'm also just feeling tired, and it, it was apt because we're talking today about compassion, and as you know, an educator myself. I think about the importance of being rested and the importance of time to self-care. In other words, to take care of myself before as a teacher, to take care of myself so that then I can be of best service to my students. Mm -hmm. And being of best service to my students really means being as compassionate as it can be, understanding that there's 25 individuals uh, right there in the classroom sharing the space with me, all different learning abilities, all different personalities, all different, you know, just colors, fabric, right, that make up the quilt of the classroom. But really I found that for me to best connect with them, I needed to connect with myself and practice self-compassion as well as so that I could therefore practice compassion toward them. Mm-hmm. So having you here today, when I'm in this kind of kind of low, uh, you know, low on the fuel gauge um, uh, mindset is really perfect because you're here to talk with me today about the importance of compassion and to share with our viewers and our listeners why compassion is important as a skill to be learned. I'll let you phrase it however you wish, but why it's so important for the youngest ones today to uh, be quite versed in the importance of compassion, what compassion is, the definition of compassion, and obviously the practice of it. In other words, why compassion matters, mm. which coincidentally is the name <laughs> of your organization, Compassion Matters. So, Jimmy, I'll have you take it away from that. Well, I, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself because you're noticing, for one, and you're being mindful about the fact and your mood, which I think is a really great thing. So you're being considerate in yourself anyway and and your actions towards others, which is really important. I think the real danger is when we're really blinkered and we're, our emotions overtake our ability to to notice where we are and, and what we're feeling like and how we're acting. That's the space where you begin to kind of act in a, in a sometimes a quite harmful way towards yourself and others emotionally. So it's you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> Thank you. But I accept your forgiveness. <laughs> but you're right. The idea of being blinded by emotion, mm. right? Typically, yeah. that that blinded by rage, blinded by mm. anger, blinded by one's temper. Is that that's what you're referring I, to? Yeah, and I think the classroom, you know, kind of bringing it back to education, the classroom is a space where that happens a lot, because as you've just described, it's a space with so many people 
with so many different moods who are on different levels and who are trying to negotiate their way through just that time, maybe that 45 minutes an hour. And then there's you, <laughs> the teacher at the front, trying to kind of keep those plates spinning and keep everyone on course. It's an incredible dynamic. There's a lot going on emotionally in that room. And so for me, I think a focus on compassion a lot of the time is about taking ourselves as well as being kind to ourselves, taking ourselves out and thinking about others. And that can be a real way of, of levelling that dynamic because if you're thinking about others as well as on, on an equal footing or sometimes more than yourself, you begin to see a dynamic which is slightly more steady, I suppose. And I think there's, in the classrooms I've seen where this has been really taken on board, there seems to be a, a kind of peacefulness, a social cohesion and a steadiness, I suppose, which it, it just creates a, a space for learning, which is more productive, allows people to flourish in that environment more, which is, which is why I'm interested in this, actually. <laughs> um, you know, I think the world should be a more compassionate place, generally, and I think we're in a, a time um, in, in our kind of modern society where compassion is, is lacking. And I think anyone, the amazing thing about my job is people do come up to me and they go, yeah, compassion does matter and we need more of it. And and it's an easy, you know, it's what I do is an easy pitch. But when you start to pick away at it, it has some really quite incredible consequences. When we lack compassion, we lack engagement with other people. We lack respect for ourselves. And that has all sorts of knock-on effects at both the micro and the macro level. And, and you, know, you know, in the macro level often being something you know political and on a micro level our well-being being tested and, and sometimes you know, negatively impacted by that. You said something interesting earlier about how a lack of compassion when somebody's feeling lack of compassion they are actually feeling what was the word you said about themselves angry with about themselves or some there's something that's there's a connection to a negativity in oneself. Yeah I mean my um my colleague Alex, he said you use the phrase self compassion, and he he's a he's an ethicist, and he would say that's that's wrong, because compassion is actually about recognizing suffering in others, and then taking action. But I, I'm not I'm not as much as a pedant as Alex, so <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I I think self compassion is fine. Um, I think it's a lovely term actually, and I think it recognizes that we need to take care of, us, of ourselves as well as others actually we can only begin to take care of others if we're in a good you know in a place of safety in a place where we're feeling um content and we've got everything set up on our side then we can that's the only way we can begin to make a positive impact on others and the funny thing is it's quite cyclical so when you begin to engage others in compassion <laughs> you know your outward compassion your your inward happiness is impacted by that and all of those positive things internally start to be impacted and I suppose that's one of the really key things of our projects is that we're we're trying to show children and teachers that it's that by looking outwards to others and by being a service to others and by thinking about others in a deeper way we can begin to form happiness in ourselves it's not service is not just about you know having a short-term gratification for doing something good it's there's lots of things you know and lots of things that have been proven scientifically going on in our minds which which bring positiveness into our lives and, and happiness and flourishing into our lives through engaging with others in a positive way and trying to alleviate their suffering um, and then has a knock-on 
effect on, on, on wider society, each of those tiny interactions, you know, each of those tiny efforts to alleviate suffering in others. It's good for us, but it's also good for the little connections and that person going out and doing it and then another person going out and doing it. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. I'm thinking about how powerful it's been for me. I've lived in London for four years. And over the past four years, among other things, the UK has taken a real focus on mental health, and particularly among men. Mm. Um, there's been you know, football players who have talked about how important it is to actually loosen up your upper lip and to talk because, you know, traditionally men don't talk, right? And this idea of connection versus this idea of being alone, to wallow mm. alone, to, um, to think you can work through your problems on your own is really quite um, an impossible, a foolish errand, right? Because it really does, we've, science proves that this exchange of communication is really helpful toward one's own mental, mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Mental stability. And I'm bringing that up because what you said earlier about the, the act of giving toward others as a compassionate act, as something that actually can be very healing for the person doing the giving. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could dive a little deeper into that, and then I'm going to ask another question that deals with the classroom and how that applies to the classroom. Yeah, so there's been... I can't cite anyone. <laughs> well, no, say, right. but, um, but there's been a huge... Com the research around the way that compa compassionate action can um, influence our both our kind of mental state and, and actually our kind of physical state has kind of been rapidly evolving over the last 10 years. And we're getting to a point now where we're seeing the type of scientific evidence that shows, you know, not just increasing levels of pro-social behavior through engaging in compassionate activity, but also a changing of, of, of your brain, of the neuroscience of your brain through compassion. So the thing, the thing I always find with compassion is it's one of, people see it as quite finite. They're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just not a very, you know, I'm not a very compassionate person, or I am a very compassionate person. But actually compassion, yeah, and then it's, it's not, it's a, it's a learned thing. It's a practice thing. So a bit like with uh, something like mindfulness, which is all about training your mind to be better at being in the moment and the benefits that come from that. Compassion is very, very similar, that you, you, you can train your mind to become more compassionate and therefore your, your kind of brain can grow in the parts that are adept for compassion and for pro-social behaviour and for emotional regulation and for developing you know, deeper connections with people. All of those things can be developed. So anyone who's kind of feeling like, oh, you know, I'm a kind of shy person or I'm not very good at engaging with people in that way or you know it's just not my natural tendency you know there is an opportunity there to to learn this and that's I suppose where it comes into the classroom is that we have this this opportunity to offer this training to children and and this type of this type of research started uh, I think 20 years ago um, at Stanford where they started compassion well they have a program now called compassion cultivation training and it was started in the medical school mm -hmm. and the idea was that lots of medical staff are amazingly trained at this fantastic Ivy League, Ivy League University but many of them were, were lacking compassion for the for the people they were treating um, because of the nature often especially of some elements of, of, of medical practice meant that detachment was required for them to be able to undertake that work such as being a surgeon or you know doing emergency work you, you had to focus on the job at hand but 
actually for some practitioners being compassionate was really important and there was an element missing you know many people get into this type of work because they are motivated by altruism and then if you take the compassionate part away there's a real dissonance between what they're hoping to achieve in their career and so there's a self-satisfaction issue and then there's also a patient care issue so this work was undertaken and it was found uh, through this compassion cultivation training that they could work with medical students and actually you know pre and post testing show that they could improve their disposition and compassionate skills and and it impact in the longer term on their ability to be compassionate and their disposition to be compassionate to others which is which is incredible um, and it's really over the last three or four years that several groups around the world have started to put this into an educational context including us in various lenses so um, for instance there's uh, compassion in schools which is based on compassion focused therapy which is another movement in this country uh, there's SE learning which is based in Atlanta in Georgia in the US social emotional learning yeah, yeah. yeah. it's um, very very big in the states yeah yes. exactly and you've had, that, you've had those programs for years yeah. and they developed a program specifically around compassion and ethics similar to what we do here and we work in partnership with them and then we have what we're doing again which is taking lots of the principles of SEL which is you know a fantastic program to have so widespread and have a in-depth evidence base for we just don't have that in this country and the time I suppose for me is very it's, it's very right for us to begin to address this because I think we ha we're beginning to put some fantastic things in place like having conversations about you know male suicide rates raising awareness with children of uh, various um, mental challenges they might come across in their life and also, you know, we have some fantastic people offering really targeted services to children who are vulnerable in this country, although really not enough um, that are publicly available. But what is missing is the type of SEL, social emotional learning um, education opportunity, which is available in the US. And that's something that's, you know, universal and foundational. So it's not just having these targeted services, not just having an awareness raising, but having a an opportunity for children to explore and develop emotional literacy and emotional skills at a really early point in their education and that to be carried on through so they've got continued practice yes. and compassion has has definitely has a role to play in that and if you I mean I always think of it like a pyramid if you've got that at the bottom of the pyramid you know you'll move through life but if you've got those foundational skills there maybe awareness is the next and then you've got, you know, you might reach a point in your life where you need that targeted intervention. You might need to see a counsellor or you might need to do some cognitive behavioural therapy or, you know, um, um, you know, you might need to go and see psychiatric care. But if you look back and you've got that foundation there, you're going to be in a much better position when you're facing your challenges or you're, you've reached that stage because you've, you've persisted and your school hopefully has persisted with you undertaking that type of education. You were talking about the importance of of laying the foundation so that students can, all students can have this um, this foundation of security and stability when that inevitable wave hits them. And I'm also thinking of another example from, example from back when I was a deputy head, which was I would have these technology companies kind of knocking on my door saying, "Hey, we've got this great technological program to help increase." the collaboration, the communication, to help make your students connect closer with each other in your primary school classroom. Mm -hmm. And in the back of my head, I would always think to myself, but what, <laughs> why do I need that? 
like why why spend money on a technology when really this is the pri- these are the primary years and what's most important is getting these kids to learn how to relate to each other mm-hmm. on a very human to human level. Mm-hmm. So both those examples I was thinking about as you were speaking about the importance of laying this foundation of building compassion. And I want to get back to your definition of compassion because I I, I think about the word empathy a lot when I think about the word compassion. Okay. Okay. And I think about empathy as stepping into somebody else's shoes. It's Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird saying you can't know what it's like to be somebody until you step into their shoes. You walk around in them a little bit. And yet your definition of compassion is the idea of being open and, 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 um, and feeling the hardship of another person. So would, would you agree that the, the definition, the, the nuance between being um, compassionate and being empathetic is that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. They're, they're, they're very distinct things. And again, my colleague Alex would yeah. be able to offer, he's an ethicist, so he'd be able to offer you a laser-sharp definition. <laughs> but but m- my understanding and for, for my exploration of compassion is that it's you don't have to step into someone else's shoes because naturally as a human being, if you see someone else suffering, you feel it. You know, it's, you don't have to go through that process. It's, it's there in front of you. But there are lots of other things that underpin compassion as well. And I think empathy plays a role. Things like justice, like a feeling of, of, of wanting to make something better, which is wrong. That is fundamental for compassion, like courage. So... Um, I was speaking to teachers the other week and I was saying one of the really fun, you know, I was, I was chatting to, to someone from the States, a, a doctor there who's worked on compassion for years and he thinks courage is the key component of compassion, it's the most important part, because unless you're willing to take that action, your compassion is, is wasted, you know, you might feel, you're just feeling sorry for someone, you're looking at their suffering and going, that's really, really sad. But unless you take the step and courage, having the courage to sometimes step outside the social norm. And I again, taking that back to the classroom, how difficult within the structures and the systems of our education sector is it sometimes to step outside the norm? You might see a child or another teacher suffering and it might be a major, you know, something really major and profound or it might be something quite minor, but that has repercussions. But going, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that person's okay or I'm going to stop this my goodness you know that is a profound thing to do that and, and the word courage the the root of it is heart strength mm. core courage is the heart strength so it fits so much because it's not just as you said oh this person I feel sad for this person it's mm. I'm going to lean forward I'm going to break this fourth wall and very possibly connect mm-hmm. with this person or right is that yeah. is that the difference well, my colleague brendan would say compassion is fierce which i love oh, i, I too. love that I too. because it requires you sometimes you know uh, the, the thing i i often find with compassion is that people think it's about kindness which is you know and kindness is a wonderful thing like bringing you know i came in here and someone made me a cup of tea which was extremely kind and i very <laughs> much appreciate that because it's very cold outside <laughs> walk 20 minutes to get out and I, I was freezing so a cup of tea is a sell so thank you in a lovely mug too <laughs> <laughs> and um but kindness alone i isn't enough i think there's a there's a depth that comes from from compassion and, and courage is part of that and sometimes that courage has to be fierce it has to you have to put something else aside or put or really push back on someone um and that's quite can be difficult to judge and emotional and 
really, really important because if you think of some of the people who've been most inspiring in society, they're people who've, you know, had that compassion, um, but been willing to be fierce about it, even sometimes in a passive way, mm. if you know what I mean. So someone like Nelson Mandela was mm-hmm. a fierce advocate for, for what he was wanting to do in his life, but, you know, and, but at the same time he showed that fierceness in a, in a way of in a compassionate way in a way that was him sticking to his guns being resolute that was how he made his fierceness shown and that's I think amazing I love that I love that so much this great example of Nelson Mandela and, and bringing it back to the classroom mm. what's one thing or one what's what's a piece of advice if you were to be able to you know negotiate with Ofsted right which is like basically the Department of Education over here in the UK and say, look, every teacher needs the ability in the classroom to do X in order to create an ethos of compassion. Think for a second, what do you think that ingredient, that essential ingredient is, so that teachers can be fiercely compassionate and model fierce compassion for their students? Yeah, I think it, I think I'd probably bring it back to, what, to something I brought up earlier, which is a a dissonance between why teachers go into teaching and and, and what they face in the classroom. Let's let's explore that dissonance. Yeah, so there's a a huge problem in the UK with a high percentage of teachers dropping out before their third year um, is complete. And often that's to do with, you know, it's put down to stress. But stress is, you know, that's the end product. Unpack where that comes from. And, And a lot of the time it's down to teachers who have got into this job for very altruistic reasons because... You know, even it might not be their prime reason, but often it's a, a passion reason underneath is that they want to be able to, you know, influence children's lives and to be able to educate children and have a positive effect on their future. I think that's why 99% of teachers teach. And um, when they get into the classroom, they can't attend to that <laughs> because there's lots of other things going on. And this is a problem which is beginning to be addressed in this country. Um, so lots of bureaucracy, um, there are attempts to move... Uh, a burden of bureaucracy off of teachers at the moment um, but for me what I would say is just taking the time giving teachers the time or teachers creating the time and I'm seeing more and more fantastic courageous um, revolutionary teachers out there who are taking time in their day to have a time a moment of reflection with their class or to think about a you know they might get a a phrase or an image or they might have an idea or a reading from a book and they're just taking that time or even doing something like i had the example in um a classroom the other day where a teacher was telling me that she got really fed up with the fact that they did lots of fundraising and i was like oh and i said but fundraising really nice things to do she said but the children don't know what it's for Mm -hmm. they think they just bring a pound in and like wear you know their jeans for the day Mm -hmm. and she was like so she spent the time you know when they do that now, she spends 20 minutes really going in depth with the children about what they are raising funds for. And they raise funds for like huge amounts of money for lots of really wonderful causes. But the children have the opportunity to explore compassion there. And the reason that they're doing this, it's not just so that they can <laughs> wear, the, you know, wear their cool new T-shirts for the day. It's so that they can, they can use some of their privilege and wealth to bring positive change to other people. And it's that kind of thing. Another example was um, I worked with a wonderful school in Durham in the northeast of England mm-hmm. and they initiated off the back of our Compassion Project a peer programme in their school and they work with their year sixes who are often getting to the, in, in the UK that's kind of uh, 
world and they're kind of getting to the serious <laughs> beginning to get into the serious end of education um, and they were a bit worried about them being over pressured by exams and this being more formalized nature of their education so they set them a set up a peer program where they actually look after for two or three hours a week they go into the lowest level of the school to reception with four or five year olds and they spend time with them and they read with them and they take these take themselves out of formalized learning for a bit of time and yeah they cultivate compassion they go there and they help them do things when they come into the school as new students they show them around and they buddy up to them the teachers have a really great program with examples of activities they can do together so it's you know it's supportive it's a great idea i think there's so much opportunity especially at primary level to have these kind of and, and there are many schools who have wonder wonderful projects like that in their school that can make space for reflection and for practicing compassion or understanding it in greater depth and I think you know or, or any kind of emotional learning in depth and I think I, I think taking the time to do that would be really really exciting and could make a huge difference for children's lives. I love that. I love the example of the primary school, the, the buddy system or the buddy, you know, uh, mentoring program that these kids, because the older kids in a primary school have already been there. Like they, they, they innately understand what it's mm -hmm. like to be a, um, a student who's in reception, which mm -hmm. in the U.S. would be pre-K, pre-kindergarten, uh, four and five years old. And they would naturally, right, draw themselves to uh, help those kids into, because they've been there. They know mm -hmm. this. So anybody, any of these older primary uh, students can do this and feel like they're contributing to the ethos of the school, the positive school culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, this, this, all this discussion about compassion reminds me uh, that I really wanted you to share an anecdote that you shared with us when I met you at this seminar. You gave a keynote speech about your work, right, with Compassion Matters, and you started with this story about an archaeological discovery. <laughs> so I think this is a really great way, actually, to reiterate the importance but also the time you know, kind of the timelessness of the mm. value of compassion. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so I was an archaeology undergraduate, um, and I chose archaeology because I, I think my dad wasn't quite so scared about me going to university to study archaeology because it's like a slightly more practical thing than going and doing something like art history, which he couldn't get his head around. So it was like an acceptable thing for all of us that, you know, I'd be digging some holes and stuff as well. It's uh, very appropriate that we're three blocks away <laughs> or so from the British Museum, yeah, too, yeah. right? The largest collection yeah. of artifacts. Yeah. Yes. And, and, but I, it was multidisciplinary, and, and I found it fascinating. Um, but it was also, at the time, becoming a more scientific subject. And, and, and archaeology traditionally was a kind of cultural history, so it would be about the richness of the narrative of human civilization I suppose but it was beginning to draw away from that a bit and that was quite disappointing for me but I, I, I found little stories within my studies that I found really inspiring and one of them which, which you allude to is um, about a dig that happened in northern Thailand where they discovered the body of a gentleman who was uh, quite profoundly disabled physically disabled and he had a syndrome which meant that by the age of 14 he would have lost the use of, of basically his legs and, and probably half of his upper body as well and the time the the kind of date of this site w was was kind of middle to late prehistory which we're talking about kind of hunter-gatherer people um so people who are who are transitioning into uh, farming and things like that and 
the kind of considered thinking is that, um, especially when we're kind of thinking of Darwinism and, and you know, survival of the fittest and, and things like that, is is that this person would have been left behind, and you know, <laughs> you know, you're a burden on the community. But actually, this site and hundreds of sites in in the emerging area of uh, uncovering disability and diversity within the archaeological record is that there's lots and lots of sites where not only is there evidence of people with with various disabilities living beyond their life expectancy for that time but but also really flourishing and also when they did die um, being really valued and buried in a way that showed they were highly valued members of the community and for me that is a demonstration of compassion um, in, in its very purest form because that community you know if we're talking very functionally didn't have to look after that person that person the cost you know the kind of input output cost of looking after that person in a purely like oh who makes food who produces food type of way which is how we think about prehistory um that person shouldn't you know shouldn't have been looked after but people were looking after them and for me compassion is the very very core of that story because it's about connection it's about feeling towards other people of seeing that suffering and instead of saying no you're, you've got no role to play engaging that you know with that person lessening their suffering making them a value you know ensuring they're a valued and engaged member of the community and for me that was extremely powerful um it it really actually like played a profound role in me probably engaging in my studies in a, in a deeper way um and and enjoying my studies a lot more because i kind of thought well this isn't just about pot shard number 58 in this site or like oh this isotopic analysis this is about people and the human journey and the positive potential and i think a lot in history as well in archaeology the archaeological record just shows a lot of violence um, and a lot of what is left, a lot of negativity is drawn from it. But actually, if you if you look at it in a certain lens, there are amazing, amazing moments of, of positivity and showing of, of how humans flourish. And, and I that for me is continues to be a fascination. And there's so much hope to that example. Mm. Um, and it's this idea of this hope that every human being, regardless of disability, regardless of, of ability, regardless of... Mm. Uh, social cultural context can flourish in a compassionate society and it bringing it right back to kind of the beginning here the classroom starts with the classroom and if we can model this in the primary years the elementary school years and make this in a baked in part of the curriculum of every school uk and us around the world then we can there there then we can it can foster this hope that we will be bringing out of humanity our best our better angels. Mm. Um, Jimmy, if, if, I'm just so grateful that you were here today to speak with us about compassion and its importance. It, it, is there any one topic that we have not addressed, or do you feel like we've kind of covered the <laughs> gamut and this has been a very very uh, complete discussion? No, no, that's that's fine. It's been great to kind of talk around the various issues in education the only thing i would say is our project is free so that's important to say if you know part of part of um dalai lama's mission is that this is available to everyone for free so you know if if, if you are interested in this and you want to find out more come to our website compassionmatters.org 
I'll put compassion matters into a search engine and you'll find us and you know we're always happy to have discussions with schools but the resources are there to be used so please you know get in touch and we can work together. Jimmy Slattery, Executive Director of Compassion Matters in Oxford, England. Yet in every yet you, you, you shared with me earlier. There's there's a, a school. Well, I may be overblowing. Yeah, not in Antarctica. Not in Antarctica. <laughs> I was just saying, come on, the penguins. They can get kind of boisterous. Compassionate penguins. Yes, yeah. compassionate penguins. Let's get it down to Antarctica, and then you get them. But every other round of the deck. At the moment. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me and, and speaking with us today about the importance of compassion, particularly with this youngest generation. Thank, thank you, Jimmy Slattery. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.